1: This is a CBC Podcast.
2: This is Now or Never, the show that celebrates what it takes to try and reminds you that you are not alone when you do. I am Ife Chiwetelu. And when it comes to discussions or heated arguments, I like to think that I am uh, measured and calm and always rational. But I know that if I am angry and triggered enough, I'm gonna become like that guy from that viral video who got into such an argument over Wizard of Oz, of all things.
3: Hold on, this, this is your, favorite? Hold favorite! Her sister was a witch, right? <laughs> and what was her sister? A princess! <laughs> the Wicked Witch of the East, bro! I'm gonna stab him. You're gonna
4: look at me and you're gonna tell me <laughs> that I'm wrong? Am I wrong? My she thing. wore a crown
3: and she came down in a bucket! <laughs> no, I'm not fighting
2: with you. Grow up! with you. <laughs> this video makes me laugh every time. You have to see it. I'm going to share it with you on our CBC Now Never, Facebook and Instagram. But when you can't find a way to come together on even the smallest of things that don't even matter, what hope do you have for building bridges and the kind of things that create real and damaging division? Trevor and I decided to figure out how to better come together, or at least how to argue a little more constructively, and we found just the people to help. So my name is Emily Roberts.
0: My name is Abdullah Sheikh. And my name is Mark Dillon. We are the debate team from UNBC, (laughs) JDC West.
5: We just won debate nationals, which is very exciting.
3: Um, We we came back from a a slow first day and went on a run uh, and uh, nobody was expecting it and now we're champions and that's great.
2: (laughs) This newly crowned debate team from the University of Northern BC in Prince George became national champs just weeks ago, which makes them really good at meaningfully considering and arguing multiple perspectives or just pretty convincing liars. You're forced to put yourself in a perspective where you're not necessarily comfortable and debate from something that you don't necessarily
5: agree with. You're putting yourself in the opponent's shoes or like in the other argument. Understanding fosters
3: tolerance. There's like a little bit of an echo chamber effect nowadays with opinions. Oh goodness, yes. uh, social media takes our opinions and they feed us content that directly supports those opinions. So nowadays we're very damaged or scared by seeing uh, opinions that we don't agree with, and uh, normally we just immediately
6: reject them. But it's important to take both sides and not get caught in an echo chamber, I guess.
2: Sounds simple enough. How hard can it be to actually do? I do want to uh, have you all debate something. Are you up for a challenge? Yeah, yeah always.
3: Uh, let's, let's take them on. Well, I want to become the new national
1: (laughs) it's like a heavyweight belt it's up for
3: for grabs
2: okay be it resolved that radio is better than TV
1: Uh, honorable speaker and people of the house uh, TV is so clearly better radio uh, is a medium in
3: which uh, you do not need images or visuals because...
5: First, I'd like to person. get into some rebuttals,
2: and then I will be going over our first and second constructive points. Your mom is a constructive point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, you are able to see facial expressions and body... And, war. and that is why, unequivocally, oh. we are going radio over everything. Thank you. Booyah.
1: Uh, I think that the points that you bring up about radio and the sentimental value that it has, and just the power that someone has in, the, in their voice and emotions, that was so true. So
3: yeah, this yeah, showcases.
5: Honestly, I absolutely agreed. Like as you were speaking, I was like, mm, these are some amazing and true points. Right.
2: I love how you debated your point and then you debated our point better than we debated yeah, our point. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um, which just shows that really ultimately, uh, you all win, mm-hmm. which you should because you are national champions and uh, well deserved. Thank you. I too. think I
1: think everyone wins. I think when you have dialogue about important topics which we, you know, really feel strongly about as human
6: beings, we all collectively win.
2: The future is very bright, if that is what all young people in society believe, but we are not there yet. There are so many studies and surveys that claim that Canadians are becoming increasingly polarized. And what does that mean for our ability to have nuanced conversation or hold compassion for each other? Today on Now or Never, we are looking at the distance between differing opinions, generations, cultures, and diving right into the middle. We're gonna join a teenage climate activist at her regular spot outside Qualicum Beach Town Hall, where she braces herself for all kinds of interactions.
6: And he came up to us and he said, you have been told how to think. I actually think climate crisis didn't exist. I was just thinking about how I was going to get through to him. Like, I was just ready to try something completely different. (laughs) and we're headed to the
2: Philippines with a guy struggling to figure out how to grieve when you're pulled between two cultures
0: in my belief personally you don't need to burden anybody else with your own grief even though there's a well intention sometimes people don't like that
1: yeah makes sense at the same time you know it's almost like I feel guilty for having a good time
2: and filling in some gaps is going to get personal for me when I talk with my cousin, a full-time content creator who has an online persona that doesn't quite match with family expectations.
3: Yes, sometimes mom has, you know, come to me and she, she's been like, I saw a video of you today, you know, with your underwear, you know, you are you and you your underwear. And I'm like, okay, mom, you know, I'm sorry. It's probably going to happen again.
2: This is Now or Never, Bridging the Gap. Jim Agapito was born in Canada into a Filipino family, and he has been navigating the distance between both those cultures his whole life. He thought he had it all figured out until his grandmother called him out.
1: She looked at me and said, Mayapó, which means grandson, what are you going to do when you can't speak the language and know nothing about our culture? I love you, but you are a bad Filipino. I tried to come back with but I understand the gallo kinda I also love karaoke but it was too late my lola called me a bad filipino
2: That clip is from James podcast Recovering Filipino that he started with a mission to reconnect with his roots In over 10 episodes, he's dug into the origins of many aspects of Filipino culture, but there is one thing he hasn't done yet. Travel back to the Philippines for the first time in over 30 years. A few weeks ago, Jim found himself finally making that trip. Except none of this was planned. Jim's father, Simeon Agapito, died suddenly on a trip back home just days before Christmas, And in a whirlwind 28 hours, Jim had packed up his bags in Winnipeg and landed in Haya Nueva Philippines, at his father's funeral, trying to figure out how to grieve.
1: So I am here in my mom's home in the Philippines. It's Christmas Day, and we cremated him yesterday, but... um, what what uh, what can I expect, Mom? What what can I expect?
7: Ah, <laughs> uh, today because of Christmas Day here in the Philippines, all families are having a. A Christmas party, every house, our family having a party. So all of them, we go and they invited us to come for for dinner, for lunch, or for, uh, for the evening snack, like that. That's our tradition. It's not really like uh, we're going to be so sad. Dad wants us to be happy. He wants us not to be sad. That's the way it is. Me and your dad, for 48 years, we are married. Dad make me happy. For 48 years, no, no, nothing to be worried. Everything is perfect to him. What he gave to me for that 48 years, we are together.
1: Okay, so here's, here's something that I'm trying to get my, my head around. It seems that the concept of grief and how... You know, when in Canada, you see someone grieve, it's quiet, it's stuff here. It's, it's yeah. very different for me to grasp. It seems like everyone is kind of very happy, partying. Is this normal in the Philippines, Mom? Like this style of grieving? Is this, is this something that, that's always how it is?
7: I think just because I think it's before, people is so grieved too much. But now I think just because we accept the pact, that everyone will go
1: so yeah okay so you're you're you feel okay
7: mom but now yeah because you are here around me and everyone who loved me is around me so now I'm not thinking to be sad especially you are uh, you are beside me you and your brother
1: I'm supposed to have a good time because everyone's celebrating and I'm confused because my dad just died and I don't know how to feel normal and deal with that. When someone dies in the Philippines, they have basically a party for three days. Like <laughs> they're they're partying or for however long the Lamai, which is the wake period, is. Everyone around me is celebrating. There's fireworks going on in the background. My cousin was telling me we would have even had a band for your dad and a band and there would have been karaoke and there would have been all sorts of things. I mean, was I prepared for that? No. And the fact that it was Christmas where it was all in your face everywhere you turned made it extremely difficult to deal with. My mom says she's feeling okay, but I'm feeling terrible. Having my brother there gave me some comfort. I think we we needed each other what do you think mark of this entire situation i think it's pretty it's pretty weird for me
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's a bit surreal it was uh just a big surprise because he's the strongest healthiest guy that everybody knows so it was it was a hard hard bullet to take
1: for me i just don't know how to how do you have a good time when well you have a good time because you're
0: with family it's just that's that's the coping mechanism you just have to uh, suffer in silence you don't need to show it to the family I shouldn't say suffer that's the wrong kind of word but you just do that in my belief personally you don't need to burden anybody else with your own grief Sometimes people don't
1: like that. Yeah, makes sense. At the same time, you know, it's almost like I feel guilty for having a good time.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, like, uh, as long as, uh, you know, we just think of dad in our hearts, his spirit is always going to be with us because he likes to have a good time, too. So... We're, we're doing his memory injustice if we don't enjoy as well.
1: My dad was, you know, a fun guy. He loved living life and he loved everyone having fun and having a good time around him. So in a sense, my brother is completely right. It would do my dad injustice if we didn't try to have a good time. Dad would always say, you have to remember. you got to remember the loved ones that, um, that have gone before you. got to remember, but the truth of the matter is you don't need to focus necessarily on the bad things about the little things in life that they might have done that might have tarnished their, their image or whatnot. But my dad was all about like, you got to live life, son. I think one thing that's interesting is that um, superstition-wise, you know, I come in and um, I was told immediately that you can't cry in your dad's coffin. Can you tell yeah. me what? Why is that?
7: Uh, that's our uh, grand grandparents, the old timer. They said, do not, do not, uh, uh, fell uh, tears on the coffin because that's a bad luck. All your life it's gonna be a bad luck. So we always. Uh, uh, aware of that
1: how has that shaped i guess your um your beliefs and what you do around death and mourning today
7: oh i think it's uh, <clears throat> for me now that is uh i think i could cope easy now just because i around with family and especially you came I, 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 it's easy for me to cope right now, but I think when everybody is gone like that, it's going to be hard for me again, oh, I on. think. Me too, Mom. But, uh, but uh, I just, uh, just uh, thinking that uh, that is only uh, when for holiday, and uh, we're going to see each other again like that. It's very hard. I
1: don't know how. When I go back, I
7: don't know
1: what to do. When I go back, it will be hard.
7: Yeah, but I will try. Uh, It will take time, but it will go.
2: Jim, you brought us all into such a, like vulnerable moment with your mom and your family and uh, you're back now you're back in Winnipeg how how are you doing that question always feels <laughs> not enough somehow but how how are you you know okay so
1: leaving the philippines i'll I'll, I'll go back to like I'm I'm at the airport in Manila. I'm leaving and I'm just all full of this high because I had such a great experience with my family and it did help to cure the grief, you know, the initial feelings of being sad and whatnot and really hammering how important family is. Um, And that's great, you know, that that really helped. The fact that my dad's dream was for his two sons to come to the Philippines and to experience this um, came true. You know, I did that. I have this understanding. I'm, I'm happy about that. It's a lot. But when I'm going back to reality, I remember I'm in the airport lounge and I'm just bawling and I'm hoping no one sees me because I'm like, they're going to think like, what is going on with this guy? And there's like, I'm crying there and I'm not crying. I'm just crying because there's all these things that I'm releasing because I've been alone. <laughs> I've been alone for the first time in like almost a month. It's been hard being alone, you know, like I live, I live alone and um, I have my brother. But I'm now in this state of trying to uh, figure out how I navigate that alone. And it's what's going to happen from now on for a while. I have family to lean on, but there's a part now where I'm like, maybe I need to just kind of take, take time to myself and figure out how I kind of go forward a little bit. And I prefer, I prefer that style of grieving where you have your family to lean on, where they're not trying to let you be sad, where they're trying to make sure that you're happy because they know that your dad would have wanted that, you know?
2: It's so interesting to hear you say that because you sounded like you were fighting that to be more cheerful and, and partying and connecting with family. But but that's resonating differently now.
1: Yeah. I tried to resist it, and eventually I did give in, and I think giving into it really helped me heal. And it helped me heal in the sense where you don't have to feel guilty about having a good time and being sad, even though I'm still very conflicted with that. I don't want to be bummed out around my nieces and nephews there, right? I don't want to, like, I want to be a good uncle. And these are all the little things that I'm doing I did there. And I think that it's at least giving me some sort of blueprint in how to move forward and to do that here alone.
2: What do you think your dad would have said about you finally making that trip back home?
1: He'd say, I told you so. You'd love it here. And I do. I really do love it there. And I, I love the people and um, obviously I love the weather. But I mean, the one thing that dad would really be proud of is that you actually came here. You took the time to learn about your family and your roots and why we always come here. And for him, I think I succeeded in that dream. And it means that every year now, I have dad to visit there and my mom will be there. And um, these are things that I can look forward to yearly. I can do all the time now and it doesn't feel weird.
2: Jim is still just so much in it, trying to figure out life and grief and culture. He wrote about where this is at, what sense he's making of this experience, and a personal essay for us. You can read it on our website, cbc.ca slash now or never. Today on Now or Never, we are pushing past misunderstandings and trying to figure out how do you bridge the gap? A while ago, a friend sent me a funny TikTok video to check out. And when I opened it, I was shocked.
3: But let's talk about my body's fat distribution. Literally, dude, no matter what, oh, I'm pushing out right now. I'm sucking in. No matter what, my stomach just looks like this. I got the double-decker stomach.
2: Not because of the content, but because the video was actually of my cousin, Neme Indolo, who, without me quite noticing, had built up a social media following of over... 3 million people with her funny and vulnerable content. She was sharing a side of her that I really don't know. So I am determined to fill in some blanks. So stick around because she and I are going to get into it. That's coming up on Now or Never.
6: There's trees, there's a fountain, there's lots of people passing through because there's a cafe on the other side of the square, so lots of little kids too coming to the story time at the library (laughs) and sometimes they read our sign, they comment on it or they have a question and people are generally just asking us what we're doing. We say something like, we're students from our local high school and we're striking at town hall for climate action because we're concerned about the state of our planet. They might say, oh, good for you. Or they might say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that.
2: (laughs) Sitting outside the town hall in Qualicum, B.C. with a sign that reads Youth Strike for the Climate Crisis. Tegan Walsh is not not looking for a fight.
6: I wasn't really a climate activist before, uh, but I I was starting to get pretty worried about the state of the climate. I think definitely the heat dome was a big part of it. I'd walk outside and it was like, it felt like I was walking into a sauna, like it was just so hot. (laughs) Like it was just confusing because that's not what it's supposed to be like outside in the summer. It's supposed to be like fun to go to the beach and swim, but it's not, when you go to the beach and swim, you shouldn't be smelling the hundreds of dead marine animals. like the mussels and everything that cook on the sand. Like, it's just crazy. It was something in my life. It wasn't just in the news. It was like, this is happening where I live.
2: Tegan is 16 and in grade 11. And for more than two years, she has been skipping class twice a month to come down here and join the global youth climate strike called Fridays for Future. But here in her hometown, not everyone Tegan talks with shares her alarm.
6: And some get quite hostile. One of the first conversations we had with an, an angry stranger and he came up to us, me and my, my friend, and he said you have been told how to think I actually think and then he went on to, to explain why we were very misinformed and why climate crisis didn't exist and how it was harmful to say that it did exist I guess Partly I wondered, why does he care so much what we think? Because we're just a couple kids sitting here, but he seemed to feel very, almost threatened by the fact that we were asking for climate action. He really wanted to change our minds. So he would bring us stacks of reading material, and he would expect a response. So we would go through it point by point and try try to filter through this information and make some sense of it in order to be able to talk to him about it. But what we found was that that seemed to fuel his anger when we would come back with points about everything that he said and explain why the science says it a bit differently. You want to stand up for the science. You want to correct him. But, yeah, obviously that didn't work. So we started to slowly shift. I was just thinking about how I was going to get through to him. How was I going to... Like, I was just ready to try something completely different, <laughs> completely out of the ordinary, so I just baked him some muffins. And he didn't want them, but I think it might have been part of a turning point because it kind of shifted from we are just to, like, like, I'm gonna make a statement and you're gonna contradict that statement to actually, like, two real people having a conversation. And he came up to me and said, how's my favorite climate alarmist today? He actually asked me how I'm doing today. So I'd say, oh, I'm good. Thank you for asking. Like, how are you? <laughs> he might not completely change his mind, but I'm hoping that he can start to shift his beliefs to be a little bit more open and just less less angry because that gives us space for for dialogue. That's the big thing is trying to, empathize with what they're saying because we care about the same things usually (laughs) in essence (laughs) like our families the future our kids yeah if we lose the ability to to talk about the things that we disagree on then we don't have a lot of
2: hope if you are in Qualicum Beach Town Square on a Friday morning, you just might see Tegan there with her homemade sign, ready to talk to strangers. Hello, I'm Jess Milton.
3: For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Café with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're
0: excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Café with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Café. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Now or Never. I am Ifi Chiwetelu, and today we are exploring the spaces between differing opinions, cultural divides, generational gaps, And I think there's always some distance between who people present themselves to the world as and who they most authentically are. And this is never more true than on social media. Whenever I see an influencer or content creator sharing their life, knowing that they are making a living off of that, I always have some reservations about just how true is this to who they really are, especially with this influencer.
3: But let's talk about my body's fat distribution. Literally, dude, no matter what, oh, I'm pushing out right now, I'm sucking in. No matter what, my stomach just looks like this. I got the double-decker stomach. Please, God, don't let me be pregnant. I cannot handle a pregnancy at this point in my life. My boobs have been hurting since before my period. My period finished over a week ago. My titties still hurt. Dear Lord, my nipples. Hey there, my name is Nemei Andolo, and I am an influencer slash content creator slash actor, writer, and a jack of all trades.
2: Slash my baby cousin. (laughs) Slash your baby cousin. I love you. (laughs) Not a baby anymore. (laughs) Yes, this energetic, funny, open book of a content creator who has gathered over 2.4 million TikTok followers and over 850,000 on Instagram is my cousin, Obumnameh or Neme Ndolo. We see each other every few years at family functions and our interactions in between that are mostly in group chats or text messages. And I thought I had a sense of who she is, but when I see how she shares online, I clearly have some gaps to fill.
3: This job is so strange that it's like, cause like it's not just a job where like I'm selling a product or fixing a product for people. I am the product, I, I don't like saying that, I'm the attraction now. It's, it's like, it's, 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 it's a weird place to be in. The thing that
2: doesn't surprise me about where you're at is that I've always seen you sort of pursue and lean into creativity. The thing that does surprise me is how vulnerably you are doing that. Today I was like, let me check this babe's TikTok. And I was like, she got her period yesterday. Like, I know that. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> And that is part of the brand that you put out there, which is funny because the babe I know can be very deeply uh, quiet or even like patient in terms of sharing or um, that kind of
3: thing. So to see it in this way is like, whoa. The The first reason why I even started getting online was because number one, I needed a creative outlet. Number two, catharsis um i needed to scream into the void but funnily enough they listened back was that scary no no it, it mm. was it was it, it was 100 positive reinforcement my mom has always called me uh called me an attention seeker from very very young um i'm I, i'm the middle child and of course like you know you have chedika who you know mm. has his own has high needs. To, yes and then you have a gucci who like a lot of my teachers, Ugochi and I had, like, a lot of the same teachers. One day, Mr. Cunningham, he was like, I have a weird question for you. How does it feel uh, being the sister of Ugochi? Because, like, you know, she's, like, she's like academically, like, just, like, so good. And she's into sports. And then, like, you know, how do you cope oh, with God. that? Oh, God. Yeah. How do you cope with that? Like, my whole childhood, I was overlooked There have been multiple times in my life that have caused me to build up this like insane ball of fire in my chest. I've always been driven by spite and it sounds weird but it feels really good. So having an outlet for that spite and being able to get it off my chest so that I could just breathe um, felt fantastic. And that's kind Mm. of what shouting into online was to me. So I was like, oh, this is this is positive. It's almost like I have a therapist that, you know, kind of like speaks back. They listen and they give me advice on this thing. Cool. It's cathartic for me. You
2: know what I really find interesting about that is because I know our family and I know like some of the cultural influences and pressures and expectations. So I hear you about that need to like yell out into the void to share vulnerably to, but I also know that there is very much (laughs) a part that has been impressed upon you to not do that from many directions. Um, Like I can even just hear your dad's voice being like, you're going to go online and say what?
3: Actually tell me, Um, I mean, one thing that I know about my parents is that when they see results, when they see metrics, then they shut up. Mom has seen the amount of work that goes into this job and, you know, she's seen benefits that she's gotten from the job. So now she's like, you know, like, oh yeah, do what you want. But again, she was also the person who forced me to study kinesiology for an entire school year. She, you know, called me delusional, called me the queen of la la land. My dad, you know, he was always like, you go get a real job, this, this, that, but what I, I do really have to give them their flowers, you know, in in kind of like accepting what I talk about. Yes, sometimes mom has, you know, come to me and she, she's been like, I saw a video of you today, you know, with your underwear, you know, you are you and you your underwear. And I'm like, okay, mom, you know, I'm sorry, it's probably gonna happen again. And she's like, okay, well, is, that, what, is it fine if I just don't watch those ones? And I was like, yeah, mom, it's completely fine. Um, dad. He's never had many issues. He has an issue with some of my political videos because he's like, he's like, you putting your views out there, you know, isn't that, isn't that dangerous? Which, you know, yeah, sometimes, you know, yes. It hasn't been dangerous so far. So the parents have been actually somewhat receptive. Everyone's been receptive. There's also the fact that we're Nigerian and when Nigerians see money, they shut up. (laughs) So it's like, like that has also, you know, kind of played into it, I guess.
2: I am, like, blown by this because I assumed a much more, like, conservative response as, I mean, you've met my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and trust and believe.
3: Yes. I, I know how some of the parents are. However, as for my two, mom and dad, they've, mm-hmm. been, they've been positively receptive. I'm really glad for that for you. The only place, the, the only times whenever, like, I put things on the internet that I am scared of. Like a few nights ago, I put something on my Finsta and I got scared and went back and deleted it. So like sometimes I'll be a little too vulnerable, but I never ever get close to being that vulnerable on my public pages ever, ever, ever. One way that I've always bonded with people is like, you know, by talking with them about the stuff that we're not supposed to talk about. Every human being wants to be vulnerable, but people are scared of being judged. And I think that if somebody starts the conversation, it helps people feel seen and feel validated. And through that, they feel comfortable and also sharing their experiences.
2: You did mention that you had an experience recently where you took something off of your Finsta. So there is a line where it's like, oh, this is too much. What is what is that line for you?
3: Oh God, there is a line. There is a big line. There is a lot that I don't tell them. Things that I would have to over-explain and over-explain for people to be able to get my point of view or things that could easily be used against me. I'm trying to think of like of like a light example.
2: Can I tell you one line that I thought was interesting? Mm-hmm. You were sharing going through a breakup and there was something really uncomfortable for me seeing other people external to you like weighing in on how you were moving through it because you would be like i'm going through a breakup and the next day you're like met up with my ex had sex and i was just like oh boom oh, no man no like we don't have to put all of this out here <laughs> because people were really like feeling like they could weigh in on how you were moving through and what that relationship meant or looked like and here i was i was like i've never even met dude i've never talked to him but it was sort of like
3: This feels too much. Yeah, no, that's before I ever go talking about my relationship online, I check with him and I make sure that he's completely fine. The things that are private to me are like things about my goals, about some things in my past. It's comforting me knowing that I have things that I keep to myself and that I consider solely my business and my business or the business of whoever I decide to tell alone. I am okay with being vulnerable enough that I can just say whatever I deem okay on the internet. Like, like anything you see on my page, I deem hundred percent. Okay. To put online, but I guess, um, the amount of things that I'm willing to tell the world are just like a lot more than normal people, I guess.
2: I've definitely (laughs) felt that because I think with content creation, vulnerability is also a kind of currency. So there's a part of me sometimes that's curious, like, is this true? Is this coming from a real place or is this coming from like this is now what I need to do. This is the exchange that I've agreed with with my followers where I share as much as I can and and that's what we do here.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I do this because I want to do it and the second that I don't want to do it, I'm not. And what that looks like now is like, you know, things that I just don't want to tell them, I don't. Um, and then, of course, you know, the second that I no longer want to make videos, I could easily pull back. But the issue is that I love this. I really, really do love this. So, I mean, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about how both of us, in our own ways, are sort of getting to live out loud in a way that perhaps generations before us weren't as able to um, and to take space in, in different ways and scream out into the void or ask very careful questions into the void, as is my case um, and it's um, it 's a beautiful thing in this moment i 'm just i 'm feeling really incredibly proud of you Thank keep, you, babe. oh my god, doing you're, gonna be what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> doing what you're doing yeah you're doing what you are doing yeah you doing what you are doing as long as it feels good, and don 't let nobody push you to do more or share more than you should because. That's
3: not it. I love you babe. I love you babe. Oh my god, you're really going to make me cry. Do you remember when we went to the Edmonton Mall? Remember that? <laughs> yeah. I, I
2: remember packing rice and I was like, but I want to eat at the food court.
3: But I want to eat McDonald's like yeah yeah oh my god sorry i was literally i was just remembering that and then like we were on the way back to your house and then like we were in the we were in the back of the van and i was like i want to sit next to ify i think i was like i was like six at the time and then like like i fell asleep on your shoulder and like like yeah it just it just reminded me of that just right now uh Mm. but yeah no we've we've really come far babe we've come so far yeah
2: it's cool it's really (laughs) cool When there are gaps in the opportunities that are available for you, sometimes you just have to roll up your sleeves and fill it in yourself, which is exactly what Mahi Patel did. Cricket is one of the most popular sports in the world, but in rural Manitoba, not so much. And yet two years ago on a field in Brandon, Manitoba, 11 girls from Crocus Plains Secondary School we're wearing matching jerseys and safety helmets and holding bats in hand, getting ready to play.
4: I'm Olivia, I'm a batter and I play in fifth position.
5: My name is Radha Patel and I'm a bowler. My name is Mahi Patel, I'm a batter and I bat in the third position and I'm also the captain of the team. My nickname is Kaki. Um, Kaki means auntie in, uh, in Gujarati. And they call me that because I'm the one who's always lecturing them if they're fooling around instead of practicing. So I've gotten that name because I'm a little bit strict when it comes to practice. Not a little, but she's a lot.
4: She's super strict. When it comes
5: to practice. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm a lot of fun.
2: You might need to be a little strict to head up the first and only all-girls cricket club in Manitoba. Up until a few months ago, most of these girls had never even picked up a cricket bat before. But Auntie Mahi, a diehard cricket fan who grew up watching the game with her family, decided last June she needed to start her own club.
5: I see how much fun my brothers have when they go out and they play cricket with their team. So I wanted to experience that for myself. And so in grade nine, I joined a cricket team, like our school cricket team. And I was the only girl there with 40 other guys, right? It was fun, but I, it wasn't comfortable. Like I would get to bat and all that stuff, but it was like when I would go to bat, all the other players would start bowling slower than they usually did because I was a girl, right, thinking that I might get hurt or I don't know how to play that well. Nobody was trying to get me out. So I talked to my the teacher who runs a cricket program at school, and I asked him if I could get 11 girls, would we have an all-girls cricket team? And he said, of course, yeah. It was challenging to try to find 11 girls to play because cricket seems like a gentleman's sport. It's always been guys playing it. Like, even in, like, international uh, tournaments, women's cricket just got introduced, like, two or three years ago, and it's just a really new concept that no one here knew if it was possible for us to do that. I could find eight girls super easily, because all of those were my friends, right? But then the other three girls, we had no idea who wanted to play. Like I would ask any girl, like I would be walking up the stairs and if I see a girl, I would be like, hey, we're we're planning to start a girls cricket team. Do you want to join? Practice started on Tuesday and we found our last girl on Monday after school at like 6 p.m. So until then, nobody knew for sure if we had an all girls team or not. And we ended up getting our own team.
4: The reason I joined the team, I think just Mahi and the way she just talks about it, the way she just talks about the cricket team and how she's so interested in this, just naturally writes her inspiration to.
2: Once Mahi convinced these girls to join a team for a sport they'd never played before, she had another challenge to overcome.
5: At the first practice, we go onto the field and all the girls see all the guys practicing and they did not want to practice with them because, except for me, no one else. Like, out of 11, 10 of the girls had never even picked up a season ball, whereas all the guys had been playing for years, right?
4: We just felt like we wanted our own community, our own girls' team, our own jokes, and we just thought the boys' jokes, the boys were just not our type
5: they did not want anything to do with the guys. So I got really nervous. I'm like, if the girls are really scared to play with the guys in practice, what's going to happen in the tournament? But as soon as practice started, they all they all were so good. Like, I kid you not. I was shocked at how good they were cuz it was their first time playing. And they were they were knocking wickets. They were hitting. It was it was just actually
2: crazy at how well they played. Mahi and the team competed in their first tournament against an all-boys team. And even though they have yet to win a game, they count themselves lucky because they found each other.
5: Half the girls on the team right now, I had never even seen at school before. Because their school is, is quite big, right? So I feel that without this cricket team, I wouldn't have gotten to know some of the best people Um, of my life right now.
4: That's so cute.
5: As we're going to the field, we will all dance. We have some encouraging speeches by me, and they would all make fun of me for that. Cheering going on, we might have some yelling. Like, we are loud people.
4: We love to yell when we're with each other. And it's pretty fun. Um, I think it's just, like, such a proud feeling. Because we know that we're like doing something that our parents really wish for us to do as well. And probably they probably joined cricket and played them as well. So it's just like generations basically. We hope that more girls
5: join us and we actually end up having more than one team in Manitoba. We're hoping to actually have a all-women's tournament as well. Because no matter like... No matter how many matches we play against the boys, it's never going to be as much fun as playing against girls. We have all lost, like, we have actually gave it our blood and sweat. Every single one here, every single one of our teammates has gotten hurt somewhere or another. Someone's pulled their back while bowling. Someone's hurt their knee. Someone's gotten a ball straight to the face. Someone's gotten... Yeah, and a season ball in cricket is made out of wood.
4: By you, I got hit in the thigh.
5: She got hit in the thigh by me. (laughs) It's It's been a journey, but we've all, like,
2: toughed it out. Yeah, we came through it. A couple years later, they are still toughing it out. They were back on a mixed gender team last year and are hopeful that this year there will be enough players for an all women's team once again. The other day, my eight year old niece told me that my face was looking sus and I wasn't sure if that was a compliment or an insult turns out it, it was neither of those. She was just trying to figure out what my facial expression was. It reminded me that language is ever-changing and it can create some generational gaps if you don't keep up.
8: Okay, this is gonna be a fail, but...
3: I have confidence.
8: By the way, BTW, I finished the book I borrowed, TBH. I think that's, to be honest, it was a little long IMO. am O, I am in my opinion.
2: Desiree Kendrick is reading a text from her daughter Devin, working very hard to figure out all the acronyms that she's using. Oh
8: goodness, what is this? TL uh, colon D-R. I have no idea what that last thing is. TL
9: tender love. No. No. <laughs> uh, sorry. I have no idea. TLDR, which is too long didn't read. So like, if you're trying to summarize something. People use it at work sometimes, they write me like a paragraph and then they're like, TLDR, we don't have approval on this yet. See,
8: didn't know that one at all. Or YOLO. I mean the longest time to know what YOLO was. I, just, I thought it was somebody's name, like like Star
9: Wars character. What is this? Oh my God. There, yeah, there's a few where, like, I had to sort of teach her how to use punctuation appropriately in text messages. Because um, I got a text one day that said, what's up? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And I was like, what, what's going on? Like, what do you mean? Thinking something was wrong. I was so confused. And she's like, oh, what's up is a 90s way of saying hello. What's up?
3: What's up? What's
9: up? Yeah like no I'm familiar with the term what's up I didn't understand the multiple question marks that was conveying a sense of urgency or alarm and she's like no no I just was casually checking in I'm like okay so um just one question mark will do next time why I I have no um problem admitting technology
8: still is not my um I'm not that savvy at it, to be honest, right? It, it moves so quickly. So um, I will ask her, the other day something came up on Instagram and wanting to know if I would like to join something, I think threads. Threads,
9: you were asking about threads. <laughs> I
8: didn't know what it, this was. I was. Do I need to join this? No, she says. No, you don't have to. I'm like, okay, good. I I appreciate that Devin doesn't laugh at me, she laughs with me. Right? So uh, I'm not afraid to come to her and trust her opinion on something, even if I look ridiculous.
2: Over the years, Desiree and Devin have found ways to bridge the generational gap that can exist in a lot of parent-child relationships. So if this is something that you are struggling with right now in your family, you might want to listen to what these two have to say. IMO. (laughs) That's in my opinion.
3: If I saw you two walking down the street, and I didn't know you guys. I'd look at you guys and go. That's a mother and daughter right there. I know it from across. I know it from across the street.
9: <laughs> I feel like I'm a mini you yes. sometimes. Like I, I think we we have similar interests. And we also have similar personalities. As I'm an adult, like things that I thought were maybe annoying when you did them when I lived with you. Now I do those things because I'm like, yeah, that's actually like a logical thing to do. I mean, we
8: don't see each other once a week necessarily, but we always are communicating. So. It would be rare that a few days go by and I haven't even done some text or, or picked up the phone and, and just chatted. As a parent, you see your child go through different stages in life. And so, you know, she's now married and, you know, maybe one day we'll start a family and bought a house and all these different things that you go through in, in your life. And so not just being on the peripheral and watching it, but being there if she has questions or just has excitement to share. Uh, yeah, I, I want to be part of that for sure. I, I think I was always aware, you know, you, you don't drop in on your child unexpected. Um, or, you know, if you're making plans or something to, to understand that they might have other options and, and better offers than coming over for dinner on a Sunday night or something. And so, hope I'm being respectful
9: by not always sort of asking her you know what are you doing tonight no I, I would say one of the things I appreciate about appreciated about you and still do but um, especially when I was younger is I felt like you didn't give me like a lot of unsolicited advice mm-hmm. like you kind of just like let me make my <laughs> decisions and yeah I can remember a time where I had kind of an older co-worker who was being just kind of nosy and was like well what did your mom think about this and I was like oh I don't know like she's She's not like in like telling me what to do that way and I remember talking to you about it and you were like well of course like you're 21 you're you're gonna do like silly things as long as you're not in any harm's way. I'm I'm not gonna tell you to break up with that boy that you definitely should break up with or or whatever it was like which is what it was but I kind of liked that um because that I wasn't battling you about yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Like you were available for advice if I asked, but you weren't like tell, like telling me what to do. I
8: think parenting is you you know your child, you know kind of what they need or don't need and you react or adjust and there'll be a time when and you know the table turn even more and I need more help from her perhaps. Uh, I I think it's just the evolution of parenting as you 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 keep communicating whatever that looks like for you.
3: Even if it's all acronyms.
8: Well, hopefully not.
9: <laughs> Have communication with, with your you know, your kids without necessarily like meddling in their lives. And I think my mom does a really good job of of balancing that. I think that keeps our relationship like pretty like healthy because I never feel like I'm opening myself up to a lot of criticism um, when I when I share things with you, which makes me more open to, to sharing and talking.
3: How hard is it not to meddle, though? It's got to be
8: tough. (laughs) I don't know. I I, I guess I I see the maturity in her. I'm a
9: perfect angel, so she doesn't need to meddle. That's what she's getting at.
2: (laughs) Desiree has written a personal essay chock-filled with acronyms about her determination to keep on keeping up with abbreviations. You can read it on our website, cbc.ca slash now or never. If there have been some gaps in your listening of Now or Never, you can fill them in anytime you want. Wherever you listen to podcasts, just look up Now or Never. And while you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. Shout out, as always, to the Now or Never team Sarah Tate, Tanara McLean, Bridget Forbes, Betsy Trumpener, Gloria Omoteo, and Trevor Dineen. I'm Ifi Chiwetelu. We'll see you next time.